0: Welcome to the Bucket List Project Podcast, a weekly show that talks about stories from my pursuit of nomadic lifestyle around the world, interviews with interesting people who I have met in this journey, and a general dose of thought-provoking conversations around travel as a lifestyle choice. If you love to listen on topics revolving around travel, then this will be a perfect companion for the ride to office, your morning jog, or in general, when you are winding down for the day. We have new episodes releasing every Friday. So if you love travel, do share and subscribe to our podcast and get your weekly share of travel inspiration. History suggests that humans from the Stone Age have been nomadic hunters and gatherers moving from one place to the another till they feel the place has nothing to offer to them anymore. This slowly changed through the cognitive revolution a topic widely discussed in the Sapiens book, when humans learned to create and manage resources independently. This started leading to settlements, they started congregating and forming tribes around these settlements and the need to move around dissipated very quickly. In fact, nomadism was looked down upon as a vagrant and inferior option to settling down. What was once common human nature now became an outlier. However, over the centuries, this outlier group continued their nomadic explorer lifestyle for different aspirations and shaped our history significantly. You take Alexander the Great, Ibn Battuta, Ernest Hemingway, Columbus, Marco Polo, All of them were great men without whose courage to explore a nomadic lifestyle, uh, we would not have progressed as humans. Fast forward to today, a new tribe has evolved called the digital nomad. The Urban Dictionary describes them as people who derive their primary income online and remotely instead of commuting to work. This obviously allows them to travel anywhere, anytime without a need for a permanent home base. These digital nomads operate on three tenets. Number one, you do not need a permanent home base. Number two, everything can be achieved by online means. And number three, you are the business. You are monetizing yourself or your skill for livelihood. COVID has brought this tribe into prime focus and probably fast-forwarded their growth to more than 35 million people at the moment. Who are these people, what do they do and where do Indians feature in this movement? I'm Srinath Shankar, your host, a party master scuba diving instructor, co-founder of Pick Your Trade, India's fastest-growing leisure travel brand, a digital nomad and a slow-travel proponent. Today's topic of podcast is Embracing a Digital Nomad Lifestyle, the Indian version. I am going to be joined by my wife Pratibha, founder of Vox Guru, India's leading platform for learning Carnatic music online and of course my digital nomad journey partner. Together we are going to talk through an Indian perspective of a digital nomad's life. Hi Pratibha, welcome to the podcast. How does it feel to be on a new platform other than your usual YouTube or Insta?
1: Hi everyone, I'm very excited to be on this show and to try out something new. Well, this is the first time uh, I'm going to be talking about something other than music. So although I've been a YouTuber for so many years now, uh, this is going to be something very new to share some of our experiences with this newly found digital nomad lifestyle To be honest, I didn't even know what a digital nomad meant until very recently. And I also happened to read something very interesting about this on Nomadlist. So here they had defined a typical digital nomad profile. So here it reads that a typical digital nomad is a 34-year-old, single, self-employed, software developer or content creator, Caucasian, meat-eating, fitness-conscious individual, who earns, say on an average, 85K USD per year. So what do you think about this, Srinath? Does this make sense to you?
0: Wow, that's a lot of stereotypes packed into the description of an average uh, digital nomad. But let me kind of break this down, uh, you know, to start with uh, the Caucasian bit. I'm not at all surprised, given 70% of the digital nomad population is from US, UK and the Australia. It's inherently because their passport allows them to travel to most parts of the world without having to think twice. It is a very, very powerful uh, reason why these people go into the lifestyle of a digital nomad. Now, coming to the profession part of it, um, I think um, uh, software development, digital marketing has a very high correlation with the freelance gig economy. And now both of these being so hot in demand, it has given the luxury in the hands of digital nomads to pick and choose the work and do it remotely. Also, uh, for content uh, creators, the social media explosion that happened in the last five years has been phenomenal. Uh, Add to this, the fact that uh, their audience from uh, US, UK, Australia, As a region has very good cost per click prospects on views and ads has led to this gold rush of content creators from this region. And obviously that also has meant great earning potential, but I feel it's obviously cyclical as well. You know, in the 15 to 20 years back, it was the bloggers content writers wave that uh, was prominent in digital nomad community. Then came the tech bros since 2015. Uh, and now obviously the digital content creator wave is going on. Having said that, I also see new trends coming up. Uh, so one is uh, the real estate flippers thanks to the Airbnb revolution, uh, the drop shippers thanks to the e-commerce boom and crypto stock market traders gaining a lot more traction among the digital nomad community. Apart from all of this, I can tell with quite a bit of certainty that this digital nomad community is very entrepreneurial in nature and they're always looking to find new business ideas that they can do digitally online. So now it's my turn to flip the question. How many of these stereotypes do you think both of us fit into?
1: Well, definitely not the Caucasian bit and uh, we don't have that passport power that gives us the freedom to travel as we please. But um, there is a lot of merit to the stereotype even with us. Uh, We are also 35 plus, self-employed, digital business owners. I'm a content creator and of course we take our fitness very seriously. So uh, I think the age part of it is definitely something very relevant because uh, it takes that amount of time for us to figure out what we want to do in life before we set out on this kind of a nomadic journey. So uh, be it personal milestones like say getting married Or on the professional side where we are figuring out what to do with our careers and how to build a financial sustainability that this kind of a lifestyle requires. Uh, Both of us come from middle class backgrounds. So it's taken us all of these years to actually figure this out. And I think we've got it right.
0: Uh, Interesting that you mentioned uh, about the time it took us to become digital nomads. I think that context is changing a bit now for the younger generation in their 20s. Uh, Of course, whatever I am talking has to be taken with a pinch of salt as we are talking about a very small section of the population who have privilege, means, aspiration or generally a social structure to think in this direction. Um, I think for this younger generation, there are at least two or three phases in their life where they can experience this digital nomad lifestyle now. The first phase obviously is uh, the break year right after your graduation or post-graduation. Given the fact that the taboo with break year is reducing significantly in the workforce industry. uh, So uh, I think it has become quite acceptable to take a break and travel after your education is over. It's definitely a liberating feeling to travel at that age. And I believe you come out a different person for the good. The second phase uh, is somewhere around, um, you know, 26 to 28. Given the fact that now marriageable age is moving to 29, 30 in urban metros, especially among the upwardly mobile population, somewhere five years into your profession, uh, when you have earned some kind of subject matter expertise or credential, uh, you generally have an opportunity to take a career break and pursue a body of work in freelancing. Or in consulting, and also along with that, travel. The third phase, obviously, is a lot more um, a difficult phase in my uh, mind, is when you reach a stage in your professional career where uh, uh, you know you build a significant body of work, and uh, you have multiple avenues to you know kind of uh, do either consulting, try out self employment. Uh, which is largely decoupled with a particular location, which allows you to essentially be at any place and work. Uh, this obviously is also very tough because at that point of time, your social fabric also has to be kind of uh, addressed, which is your children or aging parents or your need to be anchored to a particular place. In um. Anyways, Pratibha, um why don't you throw some light into our beginning as a digital nomad couple uh, in the previous episode I have shared uh, my motives with the listeners in general in terms of why we are doing this but I think they would uh, be interested in knowing your perspective as well uh, by the way guys if you have not listened to uh, the first episode of this podcast do listen where I've kind of shared why I'm doing this and uh, the reason behind this topic called as the Bucket List Project.
1: So when you first pitched this idea to me about wanting to be a digital nomad, uh, there were two things that were bothering me. One was, uh, of course, staying away from family for such a long period. So um, although I have stayed out of home during college and all of that, but uh, uh, right now at this stage in life, I have wanted to be close to family and I was not very excited about you know, being away for so long, but uh, fortunately, both our parents are very active and uh, leading a healthy life, and you know, uh, very independent as well. Touch wood. So um, that kind of gave us the opportunity to go out there and explore for a few years. And the other major factor was, of course, uh, my business that I run in Chennai. So I have an office there. I have a team that is dependent on me and. Uh, I was wondering, how am I going to run all of this remotely? So is it going to be effective? Uh, are things going to be as smooth as they were when I'm in Chennai? So these were the two main questions in my mind. Fortunately or unfortunately, the entire pandemic experience had kind of opened up the possibility of remote working. So until then, we probably would not even have imagined that something like this is possible. But The pandemic taught us that yes, it is possible to work remotely. It is possible to communicate effectively even through that. So that gave me the confidence that yes, this is something I can sustain. Uh, But the only thing that I was looking for is a friendly time zone because I had to be available for my team for a good part of the day. So I didn't want to land up in some country where we are several hours off and that would have been a challenge for me to at least to start with. So uh, considering your choice of a good diving destination and my need for a friendly time zone, we kind of narrowed down Southeast Asia as our first destination. So uh, our first two destinations actually have been in Southeast Asia. First was Koh Tao in Thailand and the second was Lombok in Indonesia. And then comes the important question, what do we do for food? And how do we manage the day-to-day in a remote place? So uh, food is something, you know, I was very, very particular that we should be in our comfort zone when it comes to food because both of us are extremely diet conscious. So uh, it is very difficult if we have to drastically change it based on which place we are going to. So uh, I have always been uh, ensuring that our luggage always has space for our masalas and whatever important things we need as part of our day-to-day. So that kind of makes us feel closer to home. So, uh, so we managed to cook every day and we are able to share responsibilities with each other and that kind of sets us into a daily routine and not to forget the big aspect of fitness. So uh, the first question that I always ask you whenever you tell me about a new place that we're going to live in is does it have a good gym? So that's always been one of the top criteria uh, for us. So uh, fortunately both the places that we've been to so far I've had a great fitness scene and uh, looking at the other people in the gym only makes us want to, you know, aspire for certain goals even more. So uh, in Thailand, I particularly cherish the memories of uh, having learned Thai. So uh, that was a very, very uh, different and a very refreshing experience for me. So gymming is something I'm already very familiar with, but Thai was like a whole new world and... Uh, uh, the kind of dimensions it brought out in me even personally is something I cannot describe so that's been a very very big memory from our Thailand experience having said all of this uh, the whole idea of staying in one place for say six months it makes us feel like you know we can explore and enjoy things very slowly so we are not on a tight agenda that we have to see so many things within a week or anything like that so, we just, you know, relax in the place and we take things very, very slow. And that has kind of affected my approach towards my life in general. So back home, I would be, you know, literally driven by my calendar. So every minute would be accounted for. But here you don't get caught into that kind of a vibe. So... Just looking at the surroundings around you, it just makes you want to be slow. So although you're doing all of your work, you're running a routine, all of that is fine. But still, there is some slowness about you, which I really, really enjoy.
0: You know, there is a term for that called as slow mads. Uh, Funny enough, digital nomads pre-COVID spent on an average about two weeks in a city and moved to the next destination. But now that is reversing. People are slowly... Moving to slow travel. Uh, Something like spending six months in a country like we are doing right now.
1: But the slow man thing definitely requires a lot of planning, especially for Indians. I vividly remember how you give me a heart attack each and every time before we leave to a new place. The visa doesn't come on time. Our tickets are booked. There's just two more days to go and the visa is still not here. So that has definitely been a big headache.
0: Well, the heart attack bit was definitely not intended. But what you say is uh, kind of true, almost 70% of our energy uh, went into visa research and remaining 30% only into planning monthly budgets, places to cover in our travel etc. In India, we have either the tourist visa or the immigration visa and uh, the uh, visa consultants or visa experts largely cater to only these two buckets or categories. It is very very difficult to find literature for slightly long-term tourist visa which is stuck between these two wherein it's not a short-term tourist visa or it's not a long-term immigration visa. We are looking for long-term tourist visa. Uh, Unfortunately, the embassy literature is also not updated, consulates are generally not reachable and online support groups cater mostly almost exclusively to developed country use cases. Fortunately, the with the travel industry exposure through PYT, uh, experience as a travel hacker and generally tourism board connects acted as my first source of information to build upon whenever we were researching about visa for a new destination, especially the long-term tourist visa. Um, one thing I was very clear uh, for, uh, was to build our profile Almost similar to a Western digital nomad, wherein we are self-employed, we have a good good digital trail of our profile online, uh, establish that our nature of work is remote, and especially uh, revenue is being generated out of India, and maintaining sufficient funds in liquid form in multiple currency accounts. Um, I was almost always scouting for the best tourist digital nomad visa options which allowed us at least six months at a time in a country with no or minimal border runs. Uh, And over the period of last two years, I have almost figured out a list of countries where I can do this effectively. Surprisingly, if you do enough research, Uh, and talk to right people, there are a lot of options for Indian passport holders across Southeast Asia, Americas, Europe, Africa, and Oceania, uh, which is Australia and New Zealand. Currently, I'm told that there are about 3.5 lakh digital uh, nomads with Indian passports across the world. And I believe in the next few years, the online visa literature for Indians specifically will continue to grow given more are exploring this path actively. So you can be rest assured that progressively this visa effort of ours will only start getting better.
1: So Srinath, you had mentioned something about how the budget planning for this kind of a lifestyle actually takes up 30% of our time. So I think this is something very, very important before we decide to get into a nomadic lifestyle. The budget and the monthly expense is One of the first things that we would have to consider. And we also did discuss a lot about this. So why don't you throw some light on how affordable is this lifestyle?
0: What This is such a clickbait question. Almost anything I say will feel like a wrong answer since people preferences are very, very different. Uh, However, I'll still attempt to answer this question in, in my own way. Uh, let's say, for example, if you your expense budget is 500 USD per month, you're almost guaranteed to compromise a lot on your living conditions. Uh, three meals a day will become a luxury. You'll be lucky to get a decent place to sleep and moving within the country for travel uh, will almost come down to hitchhiking. If uh, your monthly budget is about 1000 USD per month, Uh, a single person can find a very small studio or a co-living space, cook three meals a day at home, occasionally eat or drink out, and move across the country in the cheapest mode of transport. If that's about 1,500 USD per month, uh, a single person can definitely find a decent one-bedroom apartment with working space, uh, choose to eat and drink out regularly, be able to travel across country in affordable frugal modes of mobility, uh, can think of having a gym, co-working or a laundry membership. Uh, this also is like a minimum needed for a couple to kind of survive as digital nomads, uh, especially in Southeast Asia. Uh, if you have 2000 USD per month and above, uh, you can find a great place to live with all amenities choose to eat, drink out almost every day, have enough dollar to travel across the country as a regular traveler, have gym co-working memberships and afford some sort of domestic help with cleaning and laundry. Uh, Whatever I said, by the way, is almost true for Southeast Asian countries, let's say for example, Thailand, Indonesia, Philippines, uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, uh, or even some parts of South America and Mexico kind of places. Uh, where the dollar travels a bit longer. If you are thinking of digital nomad hubs like European countries or, uh, you know, Dubai or Australia, New Zealand, US, uh, then you will have to double this budget. And that also is a very crude assumption that I'm talking about. So, yeah, as I said, it's a very, very personal choice. And there is no one answer that suits all approach to this. Uh, The most important question to answer is what kind of comfort you aspire for and, you know, kind of you find ways for your online gig to pay you as much to sustain this long term.
1: That's a good point you make about sustainability because uh, two of the big fears that people have about this kind of a lifestyle is one, income sustainability and two, battling loneliness. This is not a case where you are just choosing one destination and staying there for a long term. Here, every six months, you are changing your destination. So that means you're uprooting yourself each and every time and you have to, again, build a new life, you have to make a new set of friends. There is a very high chance of getting very, very lonely in this journey and that is one of the reasons why many people quit this kind of a digital nomad lifestyle. So I would say, fortunately, both of us have figured out a way around these aspects. So the sustainable income part also is something that we have kind of sorted out thanks to many years of planning and saving and all of that and uh, the other aspect about loneliness also does not creep in because we are doing this together and at least there is that one anchor relationship that is always there and it helps us explore other things and we are really fortunate to have an amazing set of friends and every time we go to a new destination we make it a point to invite them over and we say that you come visit these less explored exotic destinations with us and we will be your free tour guides so uh, that way we have never felt lonely because we keep having people visit us in fact i would say we've been more socially connected in this lifestyle than we were back home in our desk jobs and of course we keep traveling back home as well so at least twice a year we go back to chennai so chennai is still our anchor point and we make it a point to go there you know for a few months in between our destinations and uh, no matter where we are we are just a phone call away and we are just one flight away from getting back home so we make sure we are not too far away from home as well so that way i would say that this has been like home away from home for us you touched upon
0: Um, You know, um, digital nomads battling loneliness. So one of the things that I've kind of observed uh, in terms of how digital nomads actually make new friends or connect with people uh, and how social media plays a part in it. Um, uh, Outside India, I've seen this very distinct pattern where they use social media for different things and different social media for different things actually. Uh, Like, let's say, for example, Facebook almost always is your gateway to get introduced to a community in a new place where it will help you find a place, help you find uh, things to do over there and give you suggestions, etc, etc. And then if you are making friends, the thing conversations move towards messenger insta dm and all of that and consuming local inspirational content especially with respect to travel then moves to instagram Uh, this has kind of uh, ensured that largely uh, you're always connected with information and know how effectively to use social media to solve your problems when you're in a new place well i think we've kind of covered a good range of topics on digital nomadism, probably it is uh, time to lighten up the mood a bit with quick rapid fire round. Are you game for it?
1: Yeah, sure. Let's go for it.
0: One thing you like about this lifestyle.
1: The slow life.
0: One thing you hate about this lifestyle.
1: It always comes to an end and leaving a place just breaks my heart.
0: Your dream country or a location to spend time as a digital nomad.
1: Probably a nice farm in New Zealand.
0: One routine that has not changed between your past and current lifestyle.
1: My music practice every morning and my party class.
0: One culture shock you are coming to terms with.
1: I would say the population because we always choose these unexplored remote locations. So uh, there are such few people around which is a very big culture shock coming from India.
0: One thing that has changed for you as a person.
1: I think I've become a lot more creative as a person ever since I started this because uh, there's something about these places that just brings it out of you. Uh, The kind of ideas you come up with here is something that I have never come up with before and I wonder why didn't I think of this earlier. So Uh, There's just something about this surrounding that makes you really think out of the box.
0: This wraps up the second episode of the Bucket List Project. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the conversation around digital nomadic life. Do you think this is for you? Um, Would you want to venture into this at least once in your lifetime? Well, we hope at least this podcast has triggered some thoughts in that direction. If you liked what you listened to, then do subscribe to our podcast, which is available both in Spotify and in Apple as the Bucket List Project. See you next week and until then, have a great time.